Contract Properties is a homegrown, family-owned maintenance company located in Nashville. They provide HVAC, electrical, plumbing, painting, and many other services for commercial and residential properties. From build-outs to junk removal, one call does it all. Whether you're a homeowner or a property manager, give Contract Properties a call today for a free estimate. 615-356-0755. That's 615-356-0755. Or visit ContractProperties.net. Driving you home every afternoon. This is the 3HL, powered by the Tennessee Lottery, with Brent Doherty and Don Davenport. Three HL powered by the Tennessee Lottery on 104.5 The Zone, Washington and Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh favored by five and a half now um, over the uh, Washington football team. And that game is scheduled to kick off now on Fox. It's not on Fox locally. I see Judge Judy, who, by the way, I need to throw this in there. For those that don't know, makes $50 million a year. Judge Judy, 50 Evaluate yourself appropriately, because that's what I do when I hear that number. <laughs> to tell people how dumb they are. Oh, my gosh. $50 million. Mm. Judge Mm-mm. Judy. Anyway, so I can't find the game. If you know where the game is, let me know where the game is. I mean, maybe this is the, uh, like the first NFL game that can be broadcast nationally that's not being broadcast nationally. I, I don't know. Uh, the Bills and 49ers coming up at 7-15, and San Francisco is a one-and-a-half point favorite. They're playing this game in Arizona and then there's a game tomorrow um Cowboys at Ravens 7:05 p.m. on Fox and the NFL Network. So uh, all of that's coming up um and we need to uh figure out where that game is if you know let us know and uh we'll work from there. Tennessee and Florida. Florida was going to win that game, we all knew that. All of God's children knew that that was going to happen. Uh, Tennessee started Harrison Bailey at quarterback finally and I thought held up really well. Um, there were some pre-snap issues in terms of protections that, you know, he probably could have handled better, but, uh, considering the fact that it's his first start and you're playing against, you know, a team that's trying to get in the college football playoff, um, all things being equal, I thought he held up somebody who's looking to win, win a Heisman, right? Yeah. And so, you know, with a three to nothing score and pinned down deep inside your own five yard line on third down, you make a great throw, convert the first down. And then going on 11-play, 94-yard drive to give your team the lead with less than 10 minutes to go in the first half, 7-3, to three, um, I thought was definitely a positive. Um, one weird thing about it, though, and Jeremy Pruitt continues with these weird things, like not, not getting the game to two scores against Arkansas um, where they could have had a chance late to tie it had he done that with a field goal. Um, remember I said that one goes in the file? This one yeah. does, too, to me. This was weird. Um Harrison, you're trying to get snaps for him. You're trying to get reps for him, and you pull him with 11 minutes to go. Now, JT Shroud came in and looked good, so now we're right back where you you, you want to be with a two-quarterback battle, right? So I, I didn't understand that. I thought it, it made a lot more sense to continue to give Harrison Bailey reps as you went through that game because you had two, maybe three more drives potentially. And so I thought that decision was really strange. So the only thing that I thought in the moment, because I texted you when that happened, and I'm like, wait, I'm I'm confused. 
what is he doing? Why yeah. would you not let your freshman who you talk about all the time, not being ready and, you know, needing more reps and needing to that experience to see and know the offense and all of that. So why would you take him out in this game? But then I kind of thought about it. And the only thing I thought was, okay, you're trying, it, it's such a different world in college football now with the transfer portal and the ability to just leave. Uh, whenever. And so I thought, okay, maybe, you know, you're kind of playing, you're playing both of them. You want to, but you want to have the options, right. Coming back for next year, kind of make this guy happy. So maybe he, you know, you might have a chance next year. Come on, stay. You need to stay through spring. You need to. So, so I thought maybe, maybe that's why we saw him. Um, And then his press conference today, basically he said, um, most likely we'll probably reps will be similar, right? We're probably going to see those two again or as well. So, um, I, I thought it was weird too. I'm with you on that. But then part of me was like, yeah, maybe you're, you're just trying to kind of head your bets to see who you can make sure stays come next year and doesn't hit that transfer portal first thing, December 20th, you know? Yes. He said Harrison and JT will get the majority of the reps moving forward. And he said that when asked about Jared Garantano, now that he is out of quarantine and can practice and his answer was Harrison and JT will get the majority of the reps moving forward. Yeah. In the moment when I, when I started to think about it, I I thought kind of like what you did, I I, I figured, you know, you've got, you've got a four-star dual threat quarterback coming in. So you've got Harrison Bailey and that kid, and then you've got, uh, and then you've got a situation where you're going to lose one or both of those kids, JT Shrout and, or Brian Mauer, right? Uh, Like one or both will transfer. So then maybe you play one of them, hope he has success. And then he stays. Maybe you can keep him. Yeah. And then you have three quarterbacks. And then Brian right. Maurer will transfer, and and I I, I don't know, I don't know. No, I just thought I that was a because weird. Move. That was that was what I thought in the moment after I I had texted you and was like, what? Why would you not give this kid reps? I don't get it. Then I thought, you know, maybe it is something like that, you know, because I I feel like you kind of have seen it here and there towards the end of what is a very weird season anyway, where uh, teams are going kind of to their younger guys or to the ones that you can tell they want to get involved. So that one, they get experience for next year, but two, they keep them on the roster and they don't hit that transfer portal and leave. Harrison Bailey, 14 to 21, 111 yards and a touchdown. At that moment, though, when Tennessee took the seven to three lead, Harrison Bailey was seven of eight for 70 yards and a touchdown. So the magnitude of the game and starting your first game and all of those, and Tennessee got the ball first. It wasn't like Florida got the ball first and you can stand on the sideline and let the game kind of happen in front of you for a minute and you kind of get used to it, you're still going to be nervous. But, I mean, he trotted out there play number one, and yeah. I thought held up well. Um, JT Shrout came in, much different situation um, mentally um, with the game already decided at 31-7, to seven, uh, but still showed showed a strong arm, 12 or four, maybe too strong on some of those throws. You got to learn the, the, the touch part of the game too. But that, that dude was throwing – BBs out there 12 of 14 121 yards and a touchdown thought Harrison Bailey had an NFL arm too and and the conversation I had with the people in the room uh at halftime the game was 17 to 7 and I thought you know our our discussion was about you know would this game be different had JG started and the answer is no I mean maybe it's worse right because because they protected the football and you know Harrison Bailey got sacked a couple of times and didn't fumble and it wasn't picked up and run back for a touchdown you know, he he didn't throw an out route late that's run back for a touchdown. 
Um, neither did JT Stroud. So, um, I, you know, JG's time and, and again, great kid from what I know. Uh, but uh, as Tennessee quarterback, he's done uh, barring injury. Yeah, um, I would he think. is. He love him. He's a great kid. The biggest thing for me is what you brought up, and that's the zero turnovers. That was my biggest takeaway from that game in what they did in Harrison Bailey's first start. Um, and uh, I, I, he probably could have gotten rid of the ball a little quicker, right? At times, I mean, there's there's things you can definitely point out that I think are just um, lack of exposure and experience to the speed and, and all of that in the game, but missed a, missed a couple of throws. There, there was right. one fade route from the slot that might've been a touchdown and, and he overthrew it. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, but things. poise, zero turnovers. Those are the big things. And that's a heck of a foundation to, to kind of build on. Um, with regard now to let's Florida, see if they play this weekend, right? The, the, <laughs> the one thing, I, the one thing that, um, I've thought for a while, but certainly was magnet magnified in this game. I don't think Florida can win the national title. I, I, like zero chance because of I, that defense. I well, I that's part of it. I don't think Florida can win the SEC title. Like I think Alabama is going to win by multiple, multiple touchdowns, and the reason is because they are leaky on D. Right? Tennessee's quarterbacks right. were twenty-seven of thirty-seven. That's seventy-three percent. Two hundred forty yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Mac Jones will have a field day against that defense. Um, the other thing is they can't run the ball, right? That's and what I was going to say. Yeah. This is something we've talked about all year. They can't run. The, they don't have a dynamic running back. Their running backs against Tennessee. Keep in mind, we're talking about against Tennessee, mm-hmm. 11 carries, seven yards. That's crazy. Bama's beating them by multiple touchdowns. Now I'm you sorry, can make Gator the fans. argument. I love watching that offense, but you're not beating Alabama. And you can make the argument that they didn't need to run the ball, right? You can always make that argument. But uh But eleven I, carries for seven yards. Yeah, no, you're right. Um so it, it, this kind of ties into that. You look at their deficiencies. I mean, do you do you pull a Dan Mullen for coach of the year? Honestly, look at what they're able to do with with a a very shoddy defense. Yeah, Kyle Trask is ridiculous. With um, the inability to run the football. I mean, like, the guy didn't start in high school. <laughs> I mean, and, and Kyle Pitts, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, it's fun watching those two dudes. And Kadarius Tony too. Um, and, and Tony and Trask are both seniors, and Pitts is leaving. So, you know, we'll, we'll see um, what, what, they, what they do moving forward. But uh, – but in terms of this year, they are a fun team to watch. There is no doubt about that. 615-737-1045, always the number. Chris Lowe covers college football for ESPN.com. We have tons to get to with Chris. That's next on 104.5 The Zone. Three HL powered by the Tennessee Lottery on 104.5 The Zone. Tons of college football to get into. Uh, busy, busy weekend. Uh, Chris Lowe covers college football, obviously, nationally for ESPN.com and joins us now um, from uh, his home in Knoxville, I believe, at uh, CeeLo ESPN on Twitter. Chris, what's up? How are you? Oh, we've got you muted again. You there? There here. we go. I'm here. There you go. What's up? How are you? How are you? How's everybody doing there in Nash, Vegas? We're good. Let's start with uh, the news that just came down today. Uh, Kentucky um, um, moving on from Eddie Grant, offensive coordinator, Darren Henshaw, quarterbacks coach. 
Um, surprised that that happens now. I think Chris is frozen. Okay. I didn't know if it was me. Man, Zoom. Zoom radio. 2020, baby. 2020. <laughs> Gotta love it. Um, while we get Chris back, uh, your take on that, Don. Uh, you've been around that program quite a bit. Eddie Grand, one of the mo- most liked dudes in that in that business, and, and Darren Henshaw, too. Well, and I will say this. Look at what they were able to do last year, and look at what Eddie Grand was able to do last year when they did not have a quarterback, right? Um, I, I thought that was so impressive, but at the end of the day, when you have a veteran guy coming back, you know, I, I know he was coming off of, of injury and Terry Wilson, um, you've got an, an offensive line that, uh, is one of the best in the entire country. That's right? right. Um, and, and you're still towards the end, the bottom of the sec in offensive production. I, I think a change has to be made, but that, that being said, I think we've got Chris Lowe back now, but that being said, I was so impressed with what Eddie Graham was able to do and, uh, and kind of just rethink that entire Kentucky offense last year, but that certainly just did not translate this year into what they did offensively. Chris, what's your take on that? Well, now I agree, Don. When you look at how creative they were last year, what, what essentially, now, granted, it wasn't like there wasn't talent at that position, but not a guy who had been a quarterback and what they're able to generate. <laughs> I thought Eddie did a terrific job. Yeah. And but in this year, they just it just wasn't able to – they were never able to really recapture what they did offensively, uh, but still had some games where they were awful on defense too. So, I mean, I always it, – it's hard to just point to the offensive side of the football, uh, but no, you, you've got to be able to score more points more consistently than, than Kentucky did this year. And – if Mark Stoops, who I was saying a minute ago before we, we froze up, if he knows, listen, this is not where I want to go and this is not the direction we want to go, you might as well go ahead and make the decision right now, which is what he did. Yeah, 14th in the SEC in, in total offense and, and most offensive categories. So um, their, their offense was not offensive. But uh, South Carolina uh, hiring Shane Beamer. Uh, let everyone know what, what, uh, what you know about Shane. He's been in the game a while. Yeah, he has. He's been a lot of different places and worked for a lot of different coaches. That, that's what I like most about him is that having gotten to know Shane over the years that he's um, – and you know what's cool is he sort of went and made his name, his own name, and didn't sort of live under the Beamer name. He coached under Philip Fulmer. He coached under Sylvester Croom, Kirby Smart, Lincoln Riley, you know, a lot of different coaches. Uh, Steve Spurrier, you know, before he left South Carolina after – I guess it was the 11th season. He wanted to go sort of be there with his, um, you know, with his dad before his dad retired, which was cool. And, and, and then learned under his dad, played under his dad at Virginia Tech as a deep snapper, uh, but was a terrific recruiter. I mean, he, he was the guy that coordinated those recruiting classes at South Carolina that really served as the foundation for those great seasons when Spurrier was there. You know, I mean, he was the guy that was the, the point guy for guys like Stephane Gilmore and, Connor Shaw and Alshon Jeffrey and Marcus Lattimore. Uh, so no question, the guy knows his way around the state of South Carolina, knows the high school coaches, and is really his his ability to relate to people and get people to play hard. I mean, you talk to Connor Shaw, who I think to this day is one of the greatest pure winners at quarterback in, in, in the last decade or two in the SEC, and he'll tell you that Shane was one of those guys that just, he wanted to play for. He, he's got an infectious personality. He hasn't been a head coach. He's not checked that box. But I think everything he's done along the way has prepared himself to be this. Brent, he's coached on offense. 
He's yeah. coached on defense and he's coached on special teams. So he, he steps into this role having seen all facets of, of the game. Yep. I think that's a sneaky good hire. I really do. Uh, and, and they don't have a lot of money to play with uh, because of what they had to dish out yeah. uh, to, to pay. See, where I most think that's, to go, but I, I like that's a hire. tough job though, Chris. Job. Like where yeah. do you rank that job? In the SEC? Well, it's, I mean, uh, it's certainly in the bottom half and they've got some resources. That's the thing. It's not like they haven't spent some money on facilities here recently and done, done a lot of upgrades. But, you know, you got Dabo there in the same state recruiting like gangbusters. You got Kirby Smart in the state next to you. Mac Brown's back in North Carolina who knows every high school Kate coach in that state. So Shane understands he's got to really re- hire a great recruiting staff. He's got to go out and get a really good up-to-date offensive coordinator and hit the ground running. But – um and they've done it before, and everybody says, well, Spurrier did it when Florida was down and Georgia was down and Tennessee was down. But my comeback to that is sometimes when you do it at a place like that, and I'm being facetious when I say sometimes, but sometimes the school that's doing it, i.e. Spurrier and Beamer and Ellis Johnson, that whole crowd, maybe they're the reason those other schools are down. You know, So let's give credit. You know, when Philip Fulmer did it at Tennessee, thought, well, Georgia wasn't any good, South Carolina wasn't any good. Well, Maybe it's because that school is doing something right on the recruiting trail. And, yep. and the game Think about got, all the players that yeah. Philip Homer pulled out of Georgia. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and look at the players that South Carolina kept home when Beamer was coordinating not the recruiting efforts. Those guys, Brent, Don, traditionally had gone elsewhere. They'd gone to Tennessee. They'd gone to Florida State. They'd yep. gone to Georgia. They kept those guys at home when he was there. I mean, Jamal Lewis and Cozy Coleman and Deion Grant. Yeah. I mean, think about those guys. From, yeah. from I Georgia. like the hire, too. If they too, go to though. Georgia, Georgia's much better. I mean. Yeah, Brent, I like the hire, too. I think it's not yeah. like every fan base in the SEC thinks when you have a head coaching opening that, that Bill Parcells and Nick Saban and Urban Meyer and I got to say the name, John Gruden, are going to be <laughs> lining up at the front door. You're such and a that's troll. Just not, that's just not the case. <laughs> Very rarely is it the case. What about uh, Jamie Chadwell? Does that uh, does that name fall into? <laughs> hey, probably not quite that, but there's there's talk win, that yeah, there's Ooh. talk that that a great win, and there's talk that maybe uh, Vanderbilt is is might be a landing spot for him. What do you know about the Vandy job, and what do you know about Chadwell? Well, I tell you, Don, if I'm Candace, he's certainly one of the first calls I make. He has done a terrific job at Coastal Carolina. I love his offense. I love how he's been able to tweak his offense. You know, he's playing with a redshirt freshman quarterback and uh, a Tennessee guy. You know, he, he grew up in Campbell County, played high school football at Anderson County. He was a quarterback and just a, such a real genuine guy. I had him on my show Sunday night, and um, he, he absolutely would be somebody I would talk to. And I think he understands that, um, you know, he went somewhere at Coastal Carolina. They, they had not had a lot of success when he went there. He built them from the ground up. He understands at Vanderbilt, it's not going to be an easy fix. Uh, so I think absolutely. I think Troy Calhoun is another guy that they will talk to and, and, and has done a great job at Air Force. Maybe Jeff Monk and Will Healy at Charlotte, who's, who's won and, and built a program back the way he did at Austin P. But I agree with you. I love what Chadwell has done at Coastal Carolina. And is it just me? Was that one of the best stories in college football? To see BYU and Coastal Carolina in two days. It. And two days put that game together. And that's the game of the year so far in college football. So don't give me this stuff about, well, 
we got to schedule four, five, six years out, and we need an extra week <laughs> to get prepared for the game. Those two teams played on two days' notice. BYU flew all the way across the country to play that game, and they played their rear ends off in what was a, just a highly, highly entertaining football game. Yeah, post yeah. route down to the one-yard line with no time on the clock. And I hate to say this because I yeah. know this still brings back awful memories, but what did it remind you of, Brent, Don? Uh, 100%. What? Titans. Titans Rams, Super Bowl, Atlanta yeah. Super Bowl. I mean, one yard line. Ohio State looks like they're going to get their six games in. It looks like they're going to get there. Uh, they're a 30 point favorite against Michigan. And Ryan Day said this they better be ready for us to put up 100. I mean, there is no love <laughs> loss in that little deal. Bring it. What what's what's the great Bo Schembechler thinking right now? I mean, that is, I mean, thirty point underdog. Thirty, and, 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 and Ohio State is on this rivalry on the field anyway. This quit being a rivalry a long time ago. Now it's always going to be a great rivalry in, in, the, in the annals of college football. But um, I think Ohio State, if they win this game and they get to six games, and they win the Big Ten championship, even though they would only played what would that be seven games? Is that right? Seven games? If they play yes. the Michigan yeah. game and then win the Big Ten, then I think they get in the playoff. I think anything less than that, if they only play where play five games, uh, or, or first of all, if they don't play Michigan, if this game can't be played, right. they're not going to be eligible to play in the Big Ten championship game. But I think if they win two more games and are the Big Ten champions, they get in. Yeah, there's some uh, COVID concerns over in Michigan. Um, so that's that's what we're talking about there uh tennessee florida um i I really felt like harrison bailey held up well just mentally um there's some pre-snap checks he could have made that might have saved him a hit or two um missed a couple of throws uh we pointed out the the fade route in the slot um that could have been a touchdown he threw long uh but i thought chris held up really well and then a bizarre decision to throw jt shroud out there where you could get more reps for harrison bailey Maybe you're trying to keep him thinking Mauer's transferring. I don't know what that deal is. What's your take on the quarterback situation at Tennessee? Well, and Stroud played pretty well. He, yeah, he, did, he did. He did some good things. It wasn't like he didn't play well. Um, they were pretty limited in what they asked Bailey to do in the past game. Um, they didn't do a whole lot in the past game, period, really. But, you know, he, I think for that stage, a true freshman who never had any spring practice, he did fine. Uh I don't know what to think about the whole coach, uh, quarterback carousel at Tennessee. And I asked somebody this other night, you guys answer this question. When's the last time you've seen a team play four quarterbacks in one season? And it didn't involve injuries. I'm not talking about a couple of kids getting hurt and you had to go to plan B or plan C, but you had four quarterbacks that you played during the course of the season before you were even 10 games into the season. And that team ha- had any amount of success. Yeah. It just I mean, doesn't they, work. Nine. They played three in that game without yeah. injury, right? And but then four. Paxton Brooks threw a pass, too. So there's – Right, but, but four in the season. And, yeah. You know, and so there's a lot – you know, A, you got to recruit the right guys. You got to be better evaluating guys. You got to coach them better. You got to develop them better. Um, but it's just so hard now in the way the game's played to – if you're just not very good or very stable at quarterback, I don't care if you're strong in other positions – it's going to be hard to win at a high level, and we've seen that with Tennessee. They just, they just have had issues at quarterback all year long. 
I want your take on this because uh, Britt and I just had this conversation before you came on about Florida um, and maybe, and I know it's crazy I'm saying this, but their deficiencies, uh, obviously defensively, yes. And then we talked about their inability to run the ball against a, not a very good Tennessee team. What is your take on, on deficiencies in this Florida team as we kind of look ahead to the SEC championship? Did you guys see what Dan Mullen said about not running the ball? He said, well, they weren't stopping us throwing it. They were they were basically letting us throw the ball, so we threw the ball. What well, did I which say? Is what I'm like, Dawn they said. didn't have to run but the ball. Still, <laughs> but still, their running backs had 11 carries for seven yards against and Tennessee. That's, and that's fair, but, I mean, they also, you know, what, Trask was four touchdowns, and I um, I don't know that they ever really felt like it was all You know what? And This is not rubbing salt in the wound. In some ways, it's almost as if Florida treated that as a scrimmage. Yeah. You know, I mean, they just – there was never any – I never felt – did you ever have any feeling that Tennessee was going to win that game after the first quarter or going – certainly after halftime once Florida got ahead? Um, but that doesn't mean no. that Florida doesn't have some issues because you still – at some point, you got to be able to run the football to win big games. you got to be able to run We're projecting Florida and Alabama. We're not yeah. projecting Florida Tennessee. In the red zone, coming off the goal line, short yard situations, Yes, you got to be able to run the football. And defensively, I mean, at some point, Florida is not going to be able to win 48 to 45. At some point, they've got to be able to get some stops on defense in those key games. Now, is anybody going to stop Alabama? I mean, is anybody going to hold those guys under 45 points? Nope, that's my point. And, 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 and this, just <laughs> in, this just in, I've got a Heisman Trophy ballot. I know we're not supposed to say who we're going to vote for. Devontae <laughs> Smith is the best player in college football. It's not even close. He is the best, and I'm not saying he's the best receiver. He's the best this. Or he's best. That. He's the best football player. In but he doesn't football. play quarterback, Chris. Well, I don't care, <laughs> uh, and that's that's a hint who I might possibly be voting for. He is the best player I've seen this year in college football. You know, it's funny too. I'm glad you brought that up because people think Kyle Trask is winning the Heisman Trophy, but mm-hmm. but think about this scenario. Think about Florida getting run by Alabama, let's say, and Alabama winning by 14 points or more, and Mac Jones putting up huge numbers in that game. Then does it shift to Mac Jones because the undefeated quarterback against the two-loss quarterback and the SEC champion quarterback and the college football playoff quarterback, does it kind of shift there if that does happen? Well, if, if any of those three won the award, I'd be okay with it because they've all had great years. Mac Jones, Kyle Trask, and Devontae Smith. But I do think that could could sway some voters because um, Mac Jones is another guy that's just been lights out all year long. And you're right, Don. Quarterback, that's, that's become a quarterback award. Mm-hmm. It has been now for a long time. Um, but if you've – and I've watched – I've honestly watched – you know, there, there are blessings in everything we do. The blessing – for code for me is I've got to watch more football this year and more players and more teams and more games than I ever have before. And people say, you're, tra- you're a sports yeah. writer. Well, I'm not on the road. I'm not you're at not one traveling. game. Yeah. I'm watching games from noon to one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning. Um, and I, so I've, I've got to see a lot of the players play and I've just, I've not seen a better, more complete, more dangerous, more consistent football player this year than Devontae Smith. Put it this way. If you're picking up to go play in Brent Doherty's backyard right now, and you can have first pick of any guy out there in college football, it'd take me about a nanosecond to pick Devontae Smith on my team. 80 receptions, 1,305 yards, 15 touchdowns. 
and, and runs great routes. He's one of those guys, and plus he's, he's fast, but he's always open. He's always open. And part of that's because he knows how to get open. He knows how to set up his defender. He runs great routes, and he catches everything that's even in the same zip code. The catch he made there in the back of the end zone, the one-headed catch last yeah. week falling on his back, Yeah. well, that's as good as you're going to find. And I, know, I don't want this to be the Devontae Smith hour, but uh, it's it's a, it's an interesting conversation though because it has it it has turned into a quarterback award. It has, except for ninety seven. Am I supposed to say that, Brent? I mean, you're just bringing up all the bad memories for people around here. <laughs> Did I ever tell you guys a story when I was up at uh, ESPN a few years ago? They had everybody come up. Don, were you up there for the big seminar? Yes. Remember, they brought everybody up there. Anybody that's on camera that does that they consider talent, although I'm far from talented, but anybody who does anything, like radio, TV, job position, yeah. um, it's called ESPN talent. Well, yeah. so I see Charles Woodson up there, <laughs> and I had just done the story. That would have been the 20-year anniversary. So I guess that would have been what? Oh, seven, it was 17. 17. Yeah. Yep. And I just done the story on looking back at that, and because and, that's the greatest Heisman class ever. There's three first ballot Hall of Famers. Randy, Randy Moss, Moss that class too. Yep. Charles Woodson, Peyton. And so I'm talking to Charles and say, hey, thanks again for your help on that. And he looks at me, he goes, let me ask you a question. He said, are those people in Tennessee really still mad about that? And I looked at him, I said, Charles, I said, Charles, brother, you have no idea. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, his that numbers were, were better the year before. Do you want me to go back into this? Oh, here we go. Look at look what you started, CeeLo. <laughs> I love That's... Charles Woodson. And you're right about that, that Heisman uh, ballot. I mean, that was, that was amazing. Three first, uh, first ballot Hall of Famers is right. You, you think we'll ever see that again in a Heisman, Heisman Trophy Finals? Know, Three man. first ballot Hall of Famers. Well, the wrong guy won. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. It's always a pleasure. See you guys. All right, Chris Thanks, Lowe guys. with ESPN.com does a great job uh, at CeeLo ESPN. Uh, when we come back, more of your phone calls. Uh, we've got college football on the table now. We've got the Titans uh, and that debacle of a first half on the table now. Moving forward, what do you think about that team? 615-737-1045. 3HL powered by the Tennessee Lottery on 104.5 The Zone. Let's go up to Knoxville and check in with Grant Ramey. He covers Tennessee football for Go Vols 24-7. At Grant Ramey on Twitter. At Go Vols 24-7 on Twitter. Grant, uh, obviously Florida wins 31-19. What, what positives can you pull from a sixth straight loss? Oh, boy. Um, you, you moved on with your quarterback position finally. I mean, you got a chance to see what these other guys can do a little bit, even though I don't, I don't know if you expected that to be uh, plural of these other guys um, because Harrison Bailey obviously got the start. Jerry Garrett wasn't going to play, you know, was in quarantine, whatever, for the last couple of weeks. So that wasn't going to happen. So you got to see a little bit of what Harrison looks like kind of in the moment in the first half of a game when he's not facing a double-digit deficit on the road in the fourth quarter. Um, some kind of mixed reviews there, and then they kind of throw a curveball there uh, in the fourth quarter when Tennessee's down big and put J.T. Shroud in the game, which, I mean, obviously nobody really saw it coming because you go back to the Arkansas game, he didn't even travel for that game with Tennessee. So he goes from not making the travel squad a few weeks ago to the guy that apparently had a good couple of weeks of practice, according to Jeremy Pruitt, and then something happened to his shoulder on Wednesday, so they didn't know yeah. if he was going to play. Then they throw him in there, and, and I don't know if it's Florida's defense wasn't really trying to do too much at that point in the game with that kind of lead, but he looked he looked 
pretty effective. Don loves these kinds of moments. I mean, the broadcast crew was clearly shocked uh, when JT Shroud entered the game. Uh, there was talk of a torn labrum. What? What? I was I was shocked from a decision standpoint. Like, I just thought, you know, you leave Harrison Bailey in there for as long as humanly possible to get him as many reps as possible, and 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 let him learn and feel it. Uh, but uh, that that was where my surprise lied. But um, yeah, the the broadcast team was like, "This is the biggest surprise of the day that JT Shroud is entering this game." <laughs> well, clearly Stroud. they were told that he exactly. he tore something in a sh- in his shoulder. I mean, it, I'm ah, go ahead. <laughs> and, and, and coaches will usually say stuff to these broadcasters that they won't say to us, the reporters, through the week because yes. the broadcasters aren't discussing this information until game day when both teams are already on the field. You're not giving anything away as a coach if you say something in that setting. But, I mean, it threw everybody for a curveball because you're trying to think, this is your freshman quarterback. This is probably the guy that your future is moving towards in Harrison Bailey. So you're going to want to get him as many reps as possible in a game like Florida, regardless of what the score is. This is the first time that he's really dove in head first into this situation. You want to get him as much experience as possible. Uh, and then out comes JT Shroud, and everybody's kind of scratching their head. And he's been a very curious case all year. I mean, even in the preseason, there was a lot of praise for JT Shroud and kind of how much he had developed and, and what he had been able to do. And then he comes in the Kentucky game after Garantano throws those two consecutive uh, pick sixes. JT Shroud throws another interception, and we never see him again, uh, basically, from there on. I mean, it was almost like he was the scout team QB. Uh, after that and and like I said didn't even travel to Arkansas a few weeks ago but uh, he was pretty effective uh, Saturday night against the Gators now it's a question of when does he play against Vanderbilt how do they split reps or whatever's moving forward Pruitt said Monday that this morning that they're going to go with Harrison Bailey and JT Shrout kind of moving away from Jared Garantano but how they split up the reps and and how it plays out is, is anyone's guess right now. So this was my take earlier on the show on it, or just my immediate thought, because when Harrison Bailey came out, of course, like everybody, I was confused. But then my thought was, okay, in in this atmosphere nowadays with the transfer portal just a, a second away, you know, is it one of those where you're trying to kind of make two guys happy to see if maybe you can keep them on the roster moving forward to next year? Yeah, that, that's something you have to juggle because, I mean, you look at the roster. If JT Shrout doesn't play in that game, is anybody going to question if he transfers during the offseason? If Brian Maurer, obviously he played a few snaps in that game randomly, but would anyone question if Brian Maurer ended up in the transfer portal in the offseason? No, because these guys want to play football. They want to go somewhere that they want to get that uh, opportunity to get that playing time. They don't want to stand on the sideline and hold a clipboard for their entire career. So, I do think you have to juggle that, and, and maybe that is something moving forward. They're trying to manage their personnel in their QB room. Obviously, you bring in Caden Salter as an early enrollee. Once he signs with Tennessee, he'll be uh, next spring, assuming there is a normal spring football. There should be a pretty exciting quarterback situation with Harrison Bailey and Caden Salter and see what's going on there. But you also don't want Brian Maurer and JT Shroud both to leave because you need that depth there and some experience. I also think Tennessee would be a natural uh, uh potential landing spot for a transfer quarterback as well right I mean the table is set I mean you you you've got some you know you got a good running back in Eric Gray uh, you've got some young talent at receiver you should be able to piece together a pretty decent offensive line even though you are going to lose some guys there the table is set where if you have a better quarterback or just uh, slightly above average quarterback play even this season your record looks a lot different so yeah it should be a uh, potentially a pretty good spot for a, a transfer to land should they go that route 
Do you think this game gets played, Tennessee and Vanderbilt? Uh, I think it should from Tennessee's end. I don't know about Vanderbilt. Pruitt said during his press conference that all their tests came back negative, which uh, as much stuff as they've been through with COVID, it seems like maybe they should be through the worst of it at this point. Um, I don't I don't know if teams really want to play in two weeks on the 19th when the early signing period uh, is going on. I think it's the three days leading into that weekend. So we'll see what happens there with Texas A&M game on the 19th. But from Tennessee's end, it seems like they're healthy enough to, to go play. I guess it just depends on what Vanderbilt's doing. And the basketball team will uh, launch its season tomorrow. They found Colorado. Uh, so they'll play Colorado tomorrow in Knoxville. They'll play in, in Boulder. And then they'll play in Nashville. Uh, Three-game series uh, put together just like that. Yeah, it's crazy. They they canceled the first four games of the season when they had to pause a couple of weeks ago. Then they get UT Martin on the schedule. They announced that game last Tuesday. By Friday, it was canceled. Tennessee was already on the practice floor Friday afternoon getting ready for UT Martin. They couldn't even get through that practice before that game was canceled. Then by Saturday morning, they had Colorado uh, on the phone in contact trying to get that game scheduled. Uh, and by the end of the night, it was not only are you getting Colorado to agree to a game on Saturday, get them across the country for a Tuesday night game, but it turns into a Knoxville, Boulder, Nashville, three-game series, like you said, with that neutral site. Uh, so it's a little bit more fair to Colorado for coming out here and making this trip. Grant Ramey covers the Vols for Go Vols 24-7 at Grant Ramey on Twitter. Thank you, Grant. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. See y'all. All right. He's got the best job in the world, the University of Tennessee football beat. <laughs> <laughs> hey, never a slow day. Never, Never a slow day. A slow day. That's true. All right. Uh, headlines and your phone calls coming up next. Uh, college football on the table. Uh, Titans, uh, ridiculous uh, first half. Uh, and, and where does this team go from there? Uh, that's on the table as well. 615-737-1045.